It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. It's the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Justin Marshall with me. G'day, Marshy. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Ricardo. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Um, we've got there, mate. We've got to a final, and uh, two New Zealand teams are going to go head-to-head, and man, there's some history uh, in this clash, isn't there? So, yeah, what a great Super Rugby Pacific season it's been. It's been entertaining. I certainly thought that both semi-finals lived up to their hype uh, to a degree, and um, probably on the, the crux of the season, you've, you've got the best two teams in the final, I think, in general. Yeah, we had one and one and two on the ladder, right? One and two on the ladder yeah. uh, at, at the end of it all. Uh, Going to meet in the final. Um, and, you know, I, I know Tony Johnson said in commentary, you know, it's a, it's the final New Zealand wanted. Well, there's a big swathe of people south of the Bombays and north of uh, Taupo that probably didn't want this final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? And, and I'm certainly thinking last night when the game was boiling down into those micro minutes and, and you know, it was very much on a knife's edge. Uh, that many people sitting uh, in Christchurch, including all the Christchurch players and franchise uh, areas as well involved with the Crusaders, were willing the Brumbies home, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, that they're a pretty form- formidable obstacle to get past the Crusaders uh, at Orange Theory Stadium in, the, in their own backyard. And it's a lot. E- it would have been, with the greatest respect to the Brumbies, a much easier ask than having, go- having to go to Eden Park. So... Yeah, I think both situations played out probably as teams one and two didn't want it to be. But I guess every punter and every rugby enthusiast, not only in New Zealand, but across the globe, will be highly looking forward to Crusaders Blues at Eden Park for sure. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's going to be a great final. Uh, there, I, th- I guess, you know, without we need to get into the games at some point, but forecasting through to the final, there's going to be a couple of big names missing, isn't there? I mean, we already know no Ethan Blackadder, but now Pablo Montero's going to miss as well after his, uh, his his red card, you'd think. 
that is a big blow in terms of depth in the Lucy's for the Crusaders, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That, that hasn't been confirmed yet, though, has it? He still has to visit the judicial. I think that's tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No, look, I'm not sure, Ricardo. Um, sim- simply because his red card, his first yellow, was for basically a team penalty. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he was a victim of the team giving away too many penalties in that zone. So he was a vic- victim of circumstances there. So basically, when they go to the judicial, the Crusaders will go, well, let's forget about that because that's got nothing to do with head contact. So now what we're looking at is the second yellow. Now, that's just a yellow card. That's all it is. That's it's not a red card. So you've not he's not been sent off. Um, and, and also, referee Nick Berry, when you hear the conversations he was having with the TMNO, initially he was only going in at penalty. So what I'm saying is, and this is what happened with Pablo Matera last time, what the judicial deemed is they deemed that the contact that he was made that was sufficiently dealt with on the field. Now, I'm just wondering whether or not they go down that same pathway. Mm. The only thing that would count against them would be repeat offender. Um, but in general, you know, it wasn't by any means a bad one. It, I didn't think it warranted a yellow card, put it that way. I certainly thought both him and Tapia only were uh, penalisable. They were completely, once again, unfortunately, with this law being so muddled, uh, they, 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 they were victims of the way that the law is being refereed at the moment. So I'm just wondering whether or not he does get stood down for a game. I'd be, I'm fascinated to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, when you said, um, you know, unless sort of history comes into it or re- you know previous yeah. record comes into it, you talking uh, the player or the team? Because the team has had a, a pretty bad time at the judiciary this season or on the yeah. on the field in terms of I don't I think more reds and more yellows this season than any other for the Crusaders. Player. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a problem for the Crusaders. But no, absolutely the player. They don't. That, that's what they'll look at. And they'll, they'll say, okay, so t- so technically, you know, he's he's not been stood down before. Um, they certainly felt that his one about three weeks ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, was was very minor. Um, it was at most a yellow card. That's how it was dealt with uh, on the field, uh, and sufficiently dealt with or was it yellow or was it red it was yellow wasn't it yeah was yellow i'm pretty sure yeah we, we might need to just check we might just need to follow that up maybe some listeners out there who are listening to this could text him because i'm thinking do you need you i don't think you need to go to the judicial for a yellow so maybe it was red whichever way around it was but they, the judicial found that the penalty that was given to him on the field for foul play was deemed to be su- su- sufficient enough. He didn't need to be stood down again. So they 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 obviously felt that it was minor enough that uh, you know he he could play the following week. And again, this was very minor. So maybe they will see, you know, the, the, the only thing they can go is upgrade it from a yellow to a red, really. Um, and then that would probably cost them a week. But yeah, so- he suffered. A, he, he got a red card anyway, but not for head contact. It's very muddled, but. I certainly do think, not think that it is straight down the line mandatory that he's going to be stood down because there's a lot a lot of things in play with this situation. Yeah, well, it does say here, I'm just reading, that Matera's red card Friday night came by way of two yellow cards, but no matter how it's earned, any red means an automatic referral to the committee. He's yeah. also fronting on a separate issue because it means he's had three yellow cards this season. And if that happens, you get referred to the committee as well. 
Um, so that other one was a yellow for the uh, they're submitting for that tip tackle against the uh, the Queensland Reds. Yeah, but but immediately the Crusaders will will only look at the, the head contact. That, mm. That's the that's the sanction that they'll be worried about. They won't be worried about two other yellow cards that are because he was lying offside and you know it was a yeah. it was a victim of circumstances type thing. But he certainly has got two instances that I know of that were for high contact, and and that will be what they need to uh, address. First and foremost, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, the decision the committee comes to. Yeah, it's interesting that you get three mm. yellows, then you go to the committee like you might get a, a yeah. game ban for you know just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time three times potentially. Yeah, I didn't know that to be yeah. honest. Yeah, uh, so. I, I just thought yellow yellow cards were you've committed an, a, a, a foul on the field, and that foul has put you um, and your team. Uh, on the back foot for 10 minutes um, but it's not serious and it's not um, intentional uh, and you know then the, then you just get on with it so yeah that is a surprise to me so you know maybe there are, are a few factors at play but I don't think it's clear cut that, that he will get stood down. So you're, you're picking that Matera will be part of the squad for the final? Um, again I didn't think it was a yellow card I mm. thought it I thought it was a penalty. I thought Tupaya was exactly the same. I thought Tupaya was worse, to be perfectly honest. Like, you know, what on earth could he do? He was looking to wrap. Matera completely missed the ball. Matera then fell, was falling to the ground. Yeah. It was completely accidental. There was no force in it whatsoever. Uh, And, and, you know, he gets 10 minutes in the bin. I thought that was completely absurd. And and it was worse than Matera's one. It, It was slightly more clumsy. But both of them, I thought, were only penalisable. They weren't. They weren't um, able to. Should have. Shouldn't have been yellow cards. And that's what the Crusaders will be arguing. So if they can say, well, look, that should have just been a penalty, then you know he he very much has been over penalised already for for that situation. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. That's a really good point. We should talk about the yellow cards in the other game too. Kurt Eklund got one. I don't think you can mm. argue with the tip because he, he got that wrong. Uh, but the yep. Choate one, uh, once again, it's head clash. And you've got a guy yep. in Choate who's the tackler, who set himself. He's not going forward. He set himself. So the guy with the ball, the ball carrier, has initiated contact. And yep. he's actually kind of, uh, what, what would you call it? He, he's kind of gone to check and change direction. And in doing so, has lowered his body height. Um, and that's head-on-head contact with the motion going forward from the attacking player, not from the defensive player. So for me, again, much like the Tom Banks one earlier in the season in Canberra, uh, this, mm. was a, this was a bit of a head shaker for me. Oh, it was. And it was the same as the Kahui-Mitch Hunt thing. Mm. You know, like, the, the the ball carrier had as much to do with the head contact as what the defender did. And, and unfortunately, you know, this was Ben, ben O'Keefe again, um, you know, the, the, they, are not, they are not able to look at an accidental rugby collision under the letter of the law because they, they, they will not um, be looked at favourably by their review committee, the referees. The fact that he was mentioning the word slip, I didn't really see a slip. I just I just basically saw two players entering into contact that it, it slightly went wrong. Again, it was another accidental rugby collision. And you get a guy off in the bin who has done absolutely nothing wrong. And, you know, his, he, couldn't, he couldn't have adjusted to avoid that if he tried. He was already set, like you said, Ricardo. And, you know, th- this law has so many flaws in it. Um, it's inc- proving incredibly costly. Um, again, you know, mitigation should be looking at the, the, the effect that it had on the, the, the um, player that 
was fouled and, you know, Wright got straight back to his feet. He was fine. Um, he knew there'd been head contact, but again, purely accidental. And um, again, I think something where the referee should have the ability to just say, yep, can see all the factors involved in this. Um, you know, not a lot that by, by the attacker or defender can do. Because it's head contact, we'll, we'll have to penalise it. Um, and that goes advantageous to the ball carrier, even though it might not have been the defender's fault. And the game doesn't suffer for it. You know, if they yep. had the ability to do that and to use their common sense and to look at it in every um, possible way to say that was unavoidable, no intent, no um, you know, no ramifications, a player's not having to go off an HIA or suffered uh, in, in any ongoing problems from it, Let's just let the game function, penalise it because we have to um, and make sure that we're making the players aware to try and get it right. But, you know, we get a yellow card and, that, you know, I'm I'm very fearful for, you know, how this is going to impact international rugby as well because certainly in the UK, as we've seen, um, something like that, if given a red card, reduces a team for the entire match, mm. not just for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the Northern Hemisphere don't seem too keen on that experiment either, do they? No, they don't. And, and you know, like, that, that that's just ruining games. You know, 20 to twenty minutes and 10 minutes, 10 minutes has an effect. 20 minutes has can have a major effect. That's a quarter uh, of the game, in right? In terms of the outcome. Yeah. But the, off for the whole game, yeah. big effect. Big effect, yeah. Had a text come through here on double eight double three. You can get your text through to us. The head knock law is very, very grey and frustrating to watch. Slowing down frame by frame just isn't how the game is played and makes the contact look worse. I'd say if you watched every bit of footage, there would be unnoticed head knock offences which would warrant a better look. It is just ridiculous. And uh, I, I think that's summed up uh, pretty well. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. You know, it, d- it doesn't help slowing it right down and it shows the actual impact and all that. But what you're not, by slowing it down, you're not sh- showing the lack, the, the lack of time to, re- to react. Yeah. You know, this thing, this happens in a bang, split second like that. And slowing it down doesn't show that the, the players cannot adjust. They simply have both done nothing wrong. They have accidentally clashed heads. No one's fault. And that's what, yeah, absolutely slowing it down and the referees looking at that in that way and then, then just looking at the contact are getting it wrong. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, it's not what we want. Um, well, hopefully no. they can fix that in the, uh, in the next uh, World Rugby meeting, but I'm not holding my breath, just, uh, <laughs> just, just quietly. <laughs> Justin, <laughs> it is 14 past one here on the uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade, where helping business is our trade. Daryl uh, Gibson, old teammate of yours, he's coached over the ditch. He's coaching here now. Uh, played a bit in the midfield. Lots we can talk to with him. He's up next here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's 19 past one here on SENZ, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. And with us now is uh, former Crusader, former All Black and former Waratahs coach as well, Daryl Gibson. G'day, Daryl. How are you, mate? Afternoon, man. How would uh, how would your tackling technique go this uh, in the current climate? Do you reckon, mate? Uh, how how much time do you you reckon you'd have calling calling your calling your heels each uh, each season? Yeah, well, I'm actually been following the match fit program, and uh, geez, I'm actually quite pleased I'm retired after. <laughs> and so it's good to see those men getting back into it. But yeah, playing the game, 
I couldn't think of anything worse at the moment. Yeah, no, fair, mate, fair. Uh, we had a couple of cracking semi-finals. The defence of your old team, the Crusaders, in that second half particularly, uh, keeping the Chiefs out was uh, phenomenal, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was pretty gutsy um, performance, and I know a number of the commentators you know, referred back to that game uh, in Canberra you know, back in 2000. And when you consider you know, making 222-odd tackles, uh, and particularly, for me, the most impressive um, part of that game was seeing who the Crusaders finished with in terms of the personnel um, that raised their head out there. So really the next generation of Crusaders, and that, for me, um, you know, was a good sign for the future. But, geez, uh, he absolutely got everything out of those uh, young men. Hey, Gibbo, mate. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate it as always. W- wanted to ask you about that then. What, does it worry you when, when you watch the potency of that Blues backline? Now, look, it was a bit negated last night, even though it had its moments because of the weather. But given that Eden Park produces not a bad evening and they can, um, you know, play their free-flowing style of rugby, can the Crusaders go up there and triple or double the Blues a tackle count and still win a game up there with that back line. Yeah, I guess that's the big question, isn't it? Because you, you saw, you know, that young men, they tackled their hearts out. You know, they were gutsy, mm. they dug in, they were into the wind. You know, the, the Chiefs had the wealth of position and territory and should have cantered home. Um, and the question is, can they go again and up against what you're talking about, Marshy? You know, that mm. back line uh, with Rico Arani, the three coming at them with Bowden Barrett, who seems to be um, uh, playing very well. Can they rise again? And can they um, defend as well as what they have done? And we've been critical of the Crusaders through this campaign, just through that inconsistency. And you can kind of now understand where that's coming from. They are blooding a whole new um, sort of era of next generation Crusaders through this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... As you say, mate, can they go again? And that, that for me, given the Blues entering this game with just huge motivation and home advantage, it's going to be a cracking contest. Do do you, when you watch them attack as well, do you see them significantly changing the way that they play? Obviously, last time around against the Blues, they really struggled for possession uh, and... They got opened up, obviously, on defence, which will worry, again, Razor about the fact that they don't want to give the Blues too much ball and do all the tackling. But they're still going to have to have the ability to get their own points, aren't they? And it's probably not been as fluid as what it's been in the past. And the fact that they miss personnel as well out of the mix. Have have they got enough firepower in that, in that side on balance to play a slightly different game that makes the Blues actually make some tackles in the game. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of really key things there. One is I think the Crusaders will see enough vulnerability in the Blues to go, hey, if we can get at these areas, we've, we've got mm-hmm. a shot. Um, and then, as you say, Marshy, we're so used to the Crusaders rolling up with the Rolls-Royce um, Ford pack with all the guns and you know the laden with all blacks that we just expect them to roll over teams late, you know, in that 60 to 80 minute period, just through the ability to play a different way if they need to. Now, what we've got at the moment is 
Razor doesn't have the the A, the a team in terms of that Rolls Royce Ford pack anymore. He's got a group yeah. of young men that he's mm. bringing through. Uh, so that that raises a question. They're going to have to try and win this game a little bit differently. And um, as you say, both teams love territory. If you pull through the stats, I'm predicting it'll be quite tactical early on. You know, as they jostle for field position and, and see that as um, you know, a major sort of strategic battle. Both teams love kicking, um, and they'll go after that, I reckon. Given your former teammate and, and, and knowing and being around Leon with his coaching, would he be a bit worried about how hard they had to work last night to win, to win that game? At, at stages, they looked like they were in a canter. But when things started to sort of turn and the tides sort of went favourably towards the Brumbies, they, they really didn't have too many answers, did they? They're, like They were very lucky to get out of that game, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I thought that too, mate. I think with you know, a minute to go, yeah, <laughs> everyone was holding their breath, but holy shit, I think the Brumbies might get up here if they can hold the ball. Yeah. I'd love to know what was going through Leon McDonald's head in the coaching box at that moment. But I think you're right. I think they, um, the Brumbies come with such a set way they play. Um, and if they get in your own half, and in particular get in, your, you know, in that five-metre zone where their maul is lethal, you're in trouble, uh, yeah. and I felt that you know with the Blues they went to a little bit they went to sleep a bit in that second half, thinking that you know twenty to seven we're comfortable we should roll over these guys pretty easily, and that moment where Bowden Barrett got held up, I think that was quite crucial. You know if they looked yeah. back and they'd lost that game, they would be going holy shit how how do we not um, mm. you know score then and then the game's done, so. Credit to the Brumbies, they stuck in the contest. They made everything a contest on the ground, you know, in the air. They chased hard. They did all those things we'd expect from them. Um, and they must be going away from that game um, feeling fairly unlucky they're not in the final. Daryl, how much do you think, watching that, the Blues missed um, Dalton Papali, not just from a captaincy point of view, but from a, from a go-forward-with-the-ball point of view as well? Yeah, I, I obviously Dalton had been the, the form seven in my view up until the, the point where obviously he's had his up with his appendix. But I thought, um, you know, the, the Blues did well in terms of negotiating those periods where they were down on, in players, you know, down to 14. Um, and Choke's been doing an excellent job. You know, he's really filled in those, those boots well. But I think what Dalton brings is that, that extra physicality uh, and size. Yeah, he's a big man, um, and he puts himself around. So when you add him in with the Tutu, um, Akira, and Dalton, all of a sudden that back row, it's fairly menacing. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interesting to see where his health status is at and whether he's a, a chance for the weekend. Um, but I'm sure the Blues will be pleased to get him back. be good to get your insight into your area of expertise, and, and that's not the wing, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> even even though you actually did do an admirable job out there, Gibbo, a better one than I would have done back in the day. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, we saw uh, Quintu Pai and David Haveli go head to head on Friday night. Um, your thoughts on both of them? Obviously, an All Black team to be named tomorrow, and midfield is really causing some people 
to scratch their heads as to what combinations they're going to go for and, and more importantly, who's going to fill a 12 and 13 jersey. And then obviously, secondly, might as well throw Roger Tuivasa-Shek into the mix because you're going to have David Harvelli versus him next weekend as well. What's your thoughts on those three players and the midfield in general at the moment? Yeah, I'm along with you, Marsha. It's a real contentious area where I don't think mm. any one player has absolutely nailed it. As in, we would say, you're the standout 12 in this country. You're you're going to be picked first, named down on the sheet. I think what you've uh, highlighted is there's probably two or three that they could go for that would be of a group that would go, yep, yep, we'll see how they go, and we can always change. So I thought Quinn Tapia, he he'll still be kicking himself and how you know that path didn't go to hand. Yeah. Um and and the Chiefs again will be going, How do we lose that game? You know, Peter Gus, prime opportunity to score, Quinn Tupai, you know, those moments were the big two moments for me in that game. Um, they come away with points, they come away with scoreboard pressure away. Yeah. So for me yeah. I, Quinn he, he's you know been playing well, um, and I think at the moment you'd you'd give him a shot first. And I think with Roger Tuivasa-Shek, we've seen his ability, we've seen his potential, and I think that would be too much for the All Black Collective to ignore the opportunity just to work with him. Let's get him in the wow. environment, and, mm. and let's see what we can do with him under our coaching and in our environment. So um, I'd be expecting to see those two names on the sheet. You know, on when the team's named, um, yep. with the caveat that these two will get the opportunity first, uh, knowing we've got David Harvility and a, a number of other candidates um, available for that 12 spot. For the 13, I think Rico's done enough to to show us whenever he gets the ball, he's electric. Man, he makes things happen. Um, yep. There's all the odd time on defence that you you see his reads not quite as accurate as what they should be, but um, you know I know that's a developing area for him, and uh, be something All Blacks will be helping him. So for me, he's he's in there just on that sheer attacking class that he has. Um, I think Jack Goodhue, he's making good fist of return back from injury. Again, throw him in. We know he can cover twelve. He can be thirteen. And for me, you know, one player who who could be looked at as a centre slash wing option is um, Leicester Fine Nuku. Yeah, so I think I'm with you, mate. Strong I'm with you. And he's probably done enough. So, you know, there's plenty of candidates there. I think that's that one position that we all agree that um, no one's quite nailed yet. Yeah, well said, Demo. Just finally, before we we. Uh... Leave you on this this Sunday afternoon. Um, what's the go with you now? Like uh, Fiji, what have you got coming up? You must have been bloody pleased with the way the drawer went. I know I saw you down there in Christchurch watching them play. Um, some real talent to emerge. Have a few of them forced their way into your mix that weren't there. And um, yeah, what what's on the calendar for Fiji in the upcoming months? Yeah, so we go away shortly next week. Three three games in Fiji, um, Samoa, Tonga and uh, Australia A, so playing a little Pacific Nations Cup. Um, you've seen Tonga have named a, you know, a strong side, um, starting mm. to gear up for that World Cup. Got a number of um, former internationals back in their lineup. Uh, and in terms of Fiji, we've named a um, fairly strong lineup, um, as, as strong as we can given our availabilities and injuries. 
Uh, and it's exciting, you know, to see someone like Seda Tamavalu come back into the mix. And through that international rule, um, it really gives us a, a strong-looking backline. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting back over to Fiji. Um, I think the drawer have, have created that pathway that we all wanted for Fiji and rugby through super footy. We've now a genuine pathway for our youngsters to come through. Um, mm. And it's given you know the opportunity for those um, 30, 35 players to train professionally. And I think you know it'll take. Same with, you know, imagine um, Azza at Minor Pacifica. The, it takes a little while for the players to adjust to what it means to train week in, week out, be a professional, be consistent. Uh, and the more we can have that, I think the stronger you know, the Pacific Islands rugby is going to be. Yeah, I think it's, it's great that we've got these teams in now, Daryl. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, there's a couple of uh, guys who I think are eligible who are running around playing for other teams in this competition that have been talked about in terms of the all-black framework. Peter Gussuakula and Falau Fakatava as well have been have been talked about. Um, ha- have there been any chats with them from a Fijian point of view about what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, every year we, we look at who are the options, who is available. And I think it's a tough tough decision for, you know, Fiji and Pacific Island players to put their hand up for their, for their nation because there is a, a um, bearing on their contracts here in New Zealand. And so um, it's always difficult. They always, you know, uh, fiercely play for their home nations. Um, and what we do as coaches, we keep asking the question, mate, are you wanting to be eligible for your home nation. And as that World Cup grows nearer and, you know, selection for the All Blacks um, grows a little bit clearer for them, you know, we'd like to think we'd pick up a few more of those um, Fiji stars that are running around in Super Rugby. Hey, so put it this way then. Peter Gassoakula, you might not be able to answer this, and if you can't, just say, sorry, I can't answer this. But if you can, that'd be great. <laughs> but... Let's just say, you know, tomorrow he doesn't doesn't get named for the All Blacks. Um, would you would you would you then, you know, approach him and and say, well, come and play for Fiji? Is is that where it sits, or contractually yeah. are you unable to do that? Has has he already aligned himself to New Zealand rugby? No, I think for a lot of players, Justin, you know, the All Blacks have got such a, an incredible pull and appeal. You know, there'd be a number of young Pacific Island players who would most often um, want to play for their home nation or their country of birth. Um, but they also see the, the the appeal to, hey, if I play for the All Blacks, I'm on another level, I'm in an environment, you know, the things it does for your career and so forth. So it's a tough, tough position um, for those players. And I guess also, you know, they're balancing that with career decisions. You know, does my um, playing for Tonga or playing for Samoa affect my eligibility to play for, say, a New Zealand Super Rugby team, you know, mm. um, as far as I know, the rules are still the same. You know, there's only a certain amount of non-All Black eligible players um, that Super Rugby teams are allowed to field. You know, so you can't stack your Super Rugby team with too many, you know, what we call foreign um, players. So it makes it difficult, you know, for Pacific Island players to, you know, declare their eligibility early for for their home nation or whatever. So. That's a tough spot. I think we all recognise that. Um, but, you know, certainly with the new rules now, um, it's opened that door back up. And, um, you know, we're getting some great players back into the fold. 
Oh, well, goodbye. Hey, mate, thanks very much for uh, joining us. Um, really excited to see Fiji play this year. The emergence of the Drua, what you achieved last year, the series against the All Blacks, some of the talent that you've got. Pretty exciting times for Fiji and rugby. So good luck and all the best with that. And uh, no doubt we'll all be watching, mate. Cheers, mate. Righto. Cheers. Well, <laughs> Daryl Gibson there with us. Of course, involved with Fiji uh, coming into a World Cup year next year as well. 24 away from 2 o'clock here on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Our text line, double eight double three. got a few uh, to hit, which we'll do shortly after 2 o'clock. Ben Castle, 2.30, Jeff Wilson. We'll be talking all blacks with him and uh, keen to talk your thoughts on those semifinals last night, or Friday and Saturday night as well. 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 is our number. It's 19 away from two here on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade. And Marshy, we've had a few texts through, mate. So let's uh, rip through these. Uh, last night's ref, he's talking about Ben O'Keefe, didn't want to give that last minute penalty. You could scare, see he was scared to give it. Um, there was uh, some speculation that maybe the Brumbies should have had a penalty in that last minute. Uh, they seemed to be over the ball. Looked like the Blues were holding it in. What do you think? Yeah, you know what? I saw that real time. Yeah. And um, I, I, I could see that the... Forgive me, I remember. I can't remember the flanker's name, the reserve that came on, and he was in a good position and he was over the ball and it was just there was just a little bit of time before that cleaner got to him and I thought to myself, he's on the ball. Mm. Uh, and then obviously the rest of the ruck insinuated and I didn't think much else of it. But I've, I've since seen the still shot of it uh, where Ben O'Keefe is right there and obviously Brumby's coach um, wasn't very happy with the fact that he felt that that was a penalty. It was out in front. Um, you know, they, they are obviously moments of the game that are, are massively crucial. Uh, and I think probably what the referee has to make sure that he is when he's making a, a call like that, given the significance, and it shouldn't really change given the significance or the uh, where the, the game is sitting in terms of either the time of the game or the, the, the importance of the penalty, is clearly to see that that player had his hands on the ball. You know, because that that is absolutely... He was in right position. I think the, the photo shows that. But did he have his hands on the ball? And and that, and if, if Ben O'Keefe couldn't see that, you know, giving a penalty for something that could be also a, a, a wrongful penalty, maybe you're better to err on the side of, I'm not sure. Um, that would be probably what he was thinking. He he maybe clearly didn't see hands on ball. But, yeah, it, it, it looked a bit ropey. <laughs> did, did look a bit ropey, mate. Did look a bit ropey. And another one here, this one from Ken. The guys, one of the great positives for the Blues, that there were no injuries. Uh, Clark, Papali, Ian Heem are all a good chance to play next week. AJ Lamb is playing well, so someone good is going to have to miss out. The Crusaders must be worried, though, about question marks over Taylor and Whitelock as well. Have you heard anything at all, mate? No, I haven't, but it's a good point from Ken. You know, the Blues came through that game pretty much unscathed. They'll be a bit battered and bruised because it was a physical game. And, uh, you know, obviously they had to work hard right up into the dark depths of the game to win it. But ultimately, the fact that they were able to get through it uh, unscathed, they've got a pretty fit and healthy squad. You'd think that Papali'i will be back next week as well. Uh, and, you know, they've got a really good, strong, deep bench. Uh, I certainly feel that they are, you know, in a great position squad-wise 
to approach this final. Uh, I certainly agree on um, AJ Lamb. He mm. is in some sort of, but he's been in that sort of form all year. He's been playing so very well. And the fact that you take Caleb Clark out of the mix and they don't seem to miss a beat. Um, but Bryce Heem also, he always seems to front up as well. So all of that is just reinforcing the depth of their squad. Crusaders-wise, uh, Whitelock, I believe it's um, a problem with his thumb again. Mm-hmm. He, he, um, so that's not ideal. Not sure. I haven't heard about Cody Taylor. Obviously, Pablo Matera is um, you know, having to face the judicial. Uh, and yeah, David Hovelli took a decent knock in the Chiefs game as well. Um, and he, he was, although he came, he was still in the game. Um, you know, I think he he will be a bit battered and bruised. So yeah, certainly um, going back to Ken's text, the Blues are in a better position squad-wise with fully fit players available and on form than what the Crusaders are, who will be having to assess their team come tomorrow. It'll be an interesting one to see how everybody um, does pull up from that. And the yep. other thing too, uh, Justin, you mentioned uh, earlier when we had Daryl on, was the amount of tackles the Crusaders made. I, I mean, I think in a normal Super Rugby game, you're expecting a team to make around 120 to 140 tackles, right? And they made, what, 220 last night? How much does that take out of the tank um, going into the final? Yeah, well, I think if you look statistically at the Crusaders across the board, and it's what Gibbo um, was mentioning, and we've, we've had him on the show before, and him and I have been banging the same drum. You know, we know what it's like to be Crusaders. And we know what it's like to be in a Crusaders team, both of us, that built our foundation on defence. And so we were always making, you know, uh, 20, 30% more tackles than other sides, particularly in those early days of the Crusaders when we started to get some success. You know, we, we built our our culture on defence. But this Crusaders team this year have gone to to another level. Um, And the worrying part of it is the fact that they are not utilising the ball that they are getting as well as what they should, which worries me a bit, Mm. uh, that they are not using offensively all of their um, ability to make the opposition make uh, at least somewhere near the tackles that they are. But it will certainly take its toll. The reason that I say that across the board is because it's, you know, 220 uh, last night, uh, Friday night, but uh, there's been many times they've been um, around the 200 mark this season where they've had way less ball than the opposition and have had to go deep into the well in all, all um, times of the competition. So, you know, eventually that does take its toll. I guess the main positive for Scott Robertson is the, the depth of his squad. He's been able to keep players reasonably fresh. Um, you know, many teams that would have him to go to that well each week with, you know, 23 players, 26, 27 players, whereas Scott Robertson's been able to go um, and, and find players inside his squad that have still enabled him to be winning rugby games and so keeping the majority of the squad as fresh as possible. So it'll have a bit of a toll because that 15 that he's going to name will probably be the same 15 barring the injuries we've spoken about in Pablo Matera. Um, so, yeah, they, they will be more fatigued than the Blues. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch, particularly the last 20 minutes of that final, and see if it has any effect at all uh, on, on the team, because that's probably when you'll notice it. Hey, guys, really enjoyed the game last night, and even though I'm a Crusaders fan, I, I'm glad the Blues won. Some of the tries the Blues have scored this year have made my pee-pee tingle. Uh, go the Crusaders. That's from Andy. Um, I'm, I'm I'm glad you've been excited by the Blues, Andy. I'm, I'm sure it'll be a great uh, final for you next week. Keep the text coming through. Double eight, double three, and uh, we will get to more of those up next here on Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade, helping businesses our trade. 
in today's Voltaren Rapid 25 wrap-up. There will be an all-South African final in the inaugural edition of the United Rugby Championship after the Bulls and the Stormers both won their respective semis. The Bulls overcame Irish powerhouse Leinster 27-26 to secure their first ever win on Irish soil. While a converted try in the 85th minute saw the Stormers beat Ulster 17-15 to give them the right to host the final. Now, during the season, the Stormers beat the Bulls in both of their matchups, although both games were decided by less than four points. When both sides were in Super Rugby, the Bulls won three titles, the Stormers won none, but both sides have met in a final, that was 2010. A combined 13 players from the two squads were named in the Springboks' 43-man squad to face Wales in a three-test host series next month. The question is... How dominant will the box be when it comes to the rugby championship? Uh, I guess that's something that we'll have to see, Justin, because you know there's there is a certain amount of talk about how by not playing the South African teams, we kind of lose something in terms of our ability on the international stage. But from a that certain point of view, maybe they're going to be losing something as well, not facing uh, teams with the Pacific flair that we've got coming out of Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was a a big decision for them to to move forward and, and play in the UK. And it looks like that's where they're going to set their um, p- pathway in the future as well. Um, you know, you've got to look at the, where they obviously thrive the most. And I think when you talk to any South African rugby player, they just love playing New Zealand teams. You know, obviously Australian and Argentinian teams, uh, Argentinian teams have been involved in, in super uh, in the last decade. But when you talk to any South African rugby player, they like to measure themselves against New Zealand as they get up for play, for fronting up against um, any New Zealand rugby team. And the fact that they are unable to now do that on the domestic front and now have to only wait for internationals, I think, is a, is a, is a step backwards for them. Um, I certainly feel that the supporters, when you're over there, feel the same way when New Zealand teams visit. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out for them in the future. I see they've named eight debuts in their um, squad for the rugby championship. So some changes there. And Fermulin missed out as well. So, uh, yeah, some some big, I think, France Stain missed out. Um, so, yeah, some, some key players have been omitted. Um, and, yeah, really interesting to see how their season progresses now from here. Good to see they've got those teams in the final, though. Shows yeah. they're fronting up in that part of the world. It does indeed. Uh, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ. Still to come in the next hour, Ben Castle, Jeff Wilson both join us. We'll be talking All Blacks, we'll be talking semi finals, we'll be previewing the final and maybe talking a bit of Air Tuanga Farsi as well here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's just gone two o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping businesses our trade, a bloke who's about to make our job easier, Justin, to talk the hard graft in the thr- front row, something that neither of us have been anywhere near, uh, is Ben Ben Castle. G'day, Ben. How are you, mate? Good, Ricardo. How are you guys today? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I did wonder, um, after that... Uh, that last-minute effort from uh, Offa Tuanga Farsi, or Air Tuanga Farsi, as I see he's now been referred to. Uh, what your hang time was like, mate, uh, you know, in the three-on-three basketball in the gym? <laughs> oh, mate, seriously, we, we were dealing with a very different different set of boots back then. I could hardly get off the ground. And at that, at that <laughs> time of the game as well, running down a... Don't know if it was the Brumbies' best option, mind, mind you, but to, to get there just shows um, how these athletes are just evolving and 
all the work that they do. But no, for me personally, I'd I'd be on hands and knees watching, praying he missed it, missed it more so than running. Now, uh, Ben, I do have to ask you, we, we talked about this a little earlier, Justin and I, um, where are you on whether or not the Brumbies should have had a penalty in that last minute? Oh, look, I, yeah, I heard Dan McKellar as well post-match. and uh, Potentially, it's one of those one of those fine lines. Um, I, personally, no. I think um, where, where it's at was fine from Ben O'Keefe. Um, thought he had a pretty good game. Um, but there, there's one of those areas where it's, it's really tough. And, you know, we, they've got to make the call there. But I, I thought it was the right call. Yeah, the problem is, right Ben... Call and, um, yeah. Yeah, the problem is, mate, that, um, you know, obviously those those situations develop, don't they, throughout the entire game where, you know, clearly a guy's over the ball, he's probably got it right, the referee hasn't seen it. But, you know, when you're yeah. trying to win the game, it's always going to be, you know, more than over-analysed. And, and, you know, you could go through instances in a game where, where that happens a lot. The referees, uh, are basically, they are human. They're not going to see absolutely everything, are they? You know, you're going to get some good ones and some bad ones go your way, we've got to be a bit careful that we don't start playing the blame game, do we? Well, and, and the margin of it as well is so tight, and the mm. speed that it's happening in front of us, we've got the benefit of replay, we sit down and we get the benefit yeah. of analysis from the television, when at the, the height of it, the crowd roaring, the numbers of bodies flying at, at velocity, it's really, really tough, and you're talking milliseconds of a difference uh, at times for their pitches. So, yeah, it's tough. And if, if that had happened in the second minute of the game, there would have been maybe a, well, that might have been a bit tough, but you get on with it because it's a critical moment. Um, yeah, it's just one you'll analyse for a long time, as you say. OK, mate, let's uh, get down into the nitty-gritty of the Chiefs uh, and their performance on, on Friday night. Uh, personally, to, to give my, my opinion, uh, I, I thought they... They didn't execute on the night. I thought they um, had enough ball and position, and at, at times they just let themselves down with inaccuracy. Uh, they let the Crusaders kind of dictate the game to them. In a nutshell, they, they weren't the ruthless chief side that we've seen at times this year. What, what was your summary of their performance in that semi-final? Well, you're right around the amount of ball they had. I, I thought they were... Um they weren't allowed to be that ruthless you'll have that ruthless edge because the Crusaders would just look so happy without the ball. I think they were happy to let the Chiefs just keep coming at them because they knew they could hold them out and they just kept on getting energy from their defence. But I mean mm. in these big games when they needed to execute, I mean you could see when Quintu Pye threw that ball, the frustration that he had mm. um, in, in his action when that ball went wide and then just a couple of moments you know, on the back of the scrum when Bryn Hall, just using his smarts, coming around the other side when the scrum moved slightly and Peter Gus, he, just, he, he, he got tackled. And then there was another knock-on after phase, after phase, after phase. So they just, they hammered away at that line. And it was one of those games where it was a game that was won and lost, you know, to use that cliche, up front, because that's where the Chiefs took the Crusaders on and couldn't breach that line. I mean, the tackle stats have been well publicised and, and talked about, but it was just that they couldn't quite break down that, that red wall and... And I think that actually, was the, that was the tail of the game, of course, but it actually started to influence how the Chiefs were feeling. And once you hammer away for that length of time and don't get reward, it starts to it starts to hammer you. And then they would have looked at Sam Kane when he came on and Brad Weber through the game and thinking, what do we do now? And a lot of them would have thought, well, we don't know what to do now. We've done everything and we can't get down there. So 
It's one of those games where I just think a couple of players might have been off, but they were forced to be off because of how good the Crusaders were. The rebuttal that I'll throw at you for, for that uh, analogy would be when they beat the Crusaders uh, at, at, at Orange Series Stadium early in the season, they did have the patience inside the 22. They made the Crusaders make, I think, two and a half times more tackles on the night. But when they got inside the 22, they were quite prepared to hold on to the ball for 15 to 20 phases regularly. And when they had their opportunities, they capitalised on them. I just thought the other night that they their, their patience wasn't as good. They had the same personnel out there. And I would have thought that they knew that that game plan worked for them last time, that they if they stayed patient with the ball, that the Crusaders would eventually miss a tackle or would eventually run out of players and they would strike. But I just felt that they that they were slightly off where they were, you know, six weeks or seven weeks previous, where they just, they, they didn't quite have that, that mentality. Yeah, no, I agree. There are those moments there when uh, Nankerville came on that, that line to hit that hard ball that was yep. thrown him and dropped the ball and then Will Jordan down the other end. Now on a, on that night that you're referring to when they did go down there and win, they probably hold that ball. They don't throw that pass and they don't. Mm. Nankerville probably doesn't run that line. Same as Quintipoia throwing that pass. Nine times out of ten, it probably would have hit the hit the player to, to score on that corner. But again, does he just hold the ball and keep patient? And they're those they're those yeah. moments when it's the when it's the big time, the big level. Those those mistakes can creep in through the pressure. So they they needed to. And probably you're right. Go that extra phase and and rely on some of their carriers who were who were doing a lot of damage. You think I mean Samasoni, Tokiaho again. We talk a lot about him and Peter Gustawakula and a couple of. I mean when he went over on that that try, I'm not sure quite. He, he should have just backed himself to score that try and a couple of mistakes. But they did dent the line a lot, but just not enough to break them down. So yeah, two more phases, three more phases could have been something else. Could have been something different. Do you think they did their homework on Solakula? I've heard Razor talk about him. I've heard Jace Ryan talk about him. They're very impressed with him. They bring bring him up quite a lot. And I certainly thought that, you know, they, they, they niggled away at him on the night. You're right. He just didn't show natural instinct to back himself when he had that opportunity to score. You talk about Bryn Hall coming around and getting him. But in general, when you look at, his performance and you know we've got this all black side being named it was a big game against the crusaders a semi-final did 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 he you know for want of a better word did he drop the ball did he did he go insular he 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 did was he overthinking the way that he naturally usually plays because i just felt that when he fires the chiefs fire off his go for it big time yeah no totally he's a he's a player that dents the line and we've seen that in in all competitions through the country, what he can do with it, whether it's ball carry or defensively. And I, I do wonder whether when you come up against the Crusaders down there, are players who are naturally X-factor players, are they trying to find something else when they don't really need to find something else? They're actually, if they go about their business and they're patient and they're prepared, as they all would have been, are they trying to search for that extra bit out there when they don't really need to so that actually can overthink again I think your point around overthinking something is, is, is really accurate some players who just naturally they'll go in and take the Crusaders on and, and back their systems back their prep back what they've done throughout the whole campaign to that point to just replicate it again but if you start thinking right well, I might try something a bit different here because I have to step up and it goes wrong well that that's the difference between those those quality sides and you could see the Crusaders uh, as I said the 
at the start just how happy they were not to have the ball. They, they, the energy yeah. that they had without without the ball was just it was incredible. And they, you know, come again, come again. We'll just we'll keep tackling and keep knocking you back. And the times that they did knock them back and the fist pumps and the and the hugging, I mean, that just would have got right underneath that chief's skin every single time. And and probably a lot of the, most of um, most of the North Island probably as well. But that's the you know that's the beauty. <laughs> Uh, beauty about how they, you know, they they find ways to win, and it's a bit about habits as well. They 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 create a habit where they back themselves to win, and no matter how how much pressure is thrown at the Crusaders, they'll find a way to do it. Now, Ben, we like to throw a bit of shade at each other uh, on the show, to, you know, in terms of uh, eye patches and things like that. And I tell you what, if there's a there's one group of fans that can rival the Crusaders fans for having eye patches, it's Chiefs fans, I reckon. Uh, and I've seen plenty oh. of Chiefs fans talking about. Uh, the second half of that match and why the Crusaders weren't penalised more, particularly in their 22. Did you think that the referee handled it right? Or as a Chiefs fan and a former Chiefs player, did you think they maybe should have got a little bit more? Well, yeah. I, I, Nick Berry, is a, he referees differently, I think, to the way our New Zealand refs um, control a match. And that's that's certainly not a criticism it's just different and I think he's, he sees a slightly different picture it's a little bit more free-flowing there's a couple of instances you think well hang on I've seen that be I've seen that penalized last week or I've seen that penalized in a match before but it's it's let go and a couple of those calls I think went the rubber the Crusaders I, I, I agree with you there um, but again it's you know around that moment Blues Brumbies uh, what we talked about the penalty at the end and it's just those little key things that yeah sure a referee could do that but equally you know, if the pitcher was on the other side, he probably would have run the same way because there were a couple there I thought that the Chiefs got away with also. Given what you've seen, not only the Super Rugby Pacific, uh, but, you know, particularly in the semi-finals, uh, obviously we've spoken about the Blues and the Crusaders. Uh, what's your thoughts on the final, mate? Um, obviously the Blues on some sort of a train at the moment and uh, they're proving a very uh, difficult nut to crack. Are the Crusaders capable of going up there and winning, and, and will they? Uh, look, I, it's a, I, I've heard your show, and just talking about the final that you know we've, we've wanted to see. Um, yeah, absolutely, they are um, a, a, a potential uh, potential title winner again. And, you know, the Blues have got their injuries, but they still they, they came up against a pretty good Brumbies outfit on the weekend, and they held them out. I think home at Eden Park, which is going to have, um, you know, you'd hope it's a sellout. And Crusaders, I mean, talking to Razor, I think a, a while ago now, he was, they were focusing on that game. That was the one they wanted. They wanted a final in Auckland against the Blues. So I think this is a challenge that they've actually, they've been in the back of their mind hoping for. So that's a, yeah. that's a pretty dangerous beast who's wanting that. Uh, equally, the Blues have wanted this as well. So um, there's no no denying how what sort of quality they've got, and I think they've been. I mean, they're, they're so well coached as you um, as everyone talks about, and all their players are just are on form and stepping up. Now they got away with potentially got away with a, a game, but now they still found a way to win. So I think it's going to be a it's going to be a cracker of a final, and uh, it's, it's pretty tough to call Crusaders to win. I mean, I know where you'd be, Marshy. I, Blues at home, oh man, I just it's, it's it's a really tough one. We have to see how the week unfolds. It depends if uh, Pablo Matera uh, sees any sanction too, because that could be interesting in the loose forward mix for them. Yeah, and also the weather, because you know that that brings the Crusaders into the game more with their forward pack. Yeah, it's a cracking final, mate. Just before you go, I'd 
we'd love to get your thoughts as an all-black team being named tomorrow. Um, as Ricardo said, we're not experts on the front row by any means. So do you see any um, massive bolters being announced tomorrow in that, that, that front row, including hookers? Um, well, uh, there's going to be a there'll be a, a look of consistency across it. Really, I mean, we talked about tight heads last week. I think Tuinga Fassi, he's in there with Laulala. You know, the, the third tight head will be interesting. I think it's out of Taavau and Tyrell Lomax, uh, who have all had mm. the black jersey. Uh, so that will be a call. I think Taavau's um, probably his mobility and ability to play both sides might give him the edge. Um, on the other side, the loose head side, I think uh, Ethan De Groot has been outstanding. We talked about Universal Soldier last week. I think George Bauer um, <laughs> has, has been um, exceptional as well. And then Aidan Ross, for me, is a is a player that, in, in terms of that loose head jersey, I, I think he's a player that deserves a, a crack. He's been he's been very good in that Chiefs team, and I think you've got to look at what you actually need in a prop when you're selecting. Uh, front rowers and you know you, you break it down of course set piece is critical that's your number one job around a, a front row with your scrummaging and your line outs and your kickoffs and your receipts and so on and then you break down how they're working their clean out work and so on but then there's the other the bonus area where it has to be your carry and your clean out your defense and then the skill set so when you're working down the list it's how many of those boxes do do each of them tick but nailing those first two of course set piece and break down first and then a lot of these players, we saw Bauer break through and, and a bit of skill. They've all got some skill about them and, and all got you know, a lot of um, attributes on defence. I think at defence is where someone like Aidan Ross comes in. He's a very, very good yeah. defender as a front rower. And we've had that, you know, there's always that, you talk about a mismatch and, and backs trying to find that mismatch in a game. But Aidan Ross has sometimes been, he's been caught in a mismatch situation and he's done the job. Now that's, that's what they'll be looking at, I think. So that's where the front rowers are. I think in terms of hooker, um, well, Cody Taylor, um, I'd love to see Dane Coles back in there. I think he's he's one one player that you know may not see a whole heap of rugby and may not see a whole heap of rugby in the future with an all-black jersey, but having him in there with the likes of Samasone, Takiaho and, and Cody Taylor, I think he's an, he's your number. He's They make up the hooking first. Just finally then, I, um, given what we saw last night from uh, Nepo Lalala, you know, like it's very evident that he's the best scrummaging prop, but but basically in the country um, in terms of what he can do and the damage that he can do. But with with the greatest respect, out of all those props that you named in that mix, he has easily got the least amount of ability to do the other things. So so do do you select a prop that basically is just good at scrummaging and gets around the field pretty well, but is lacking in those other areas where we need our game to develop, where we need to catch up with the rest of the world and, and, and the way our front rowers play? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's, it, it comes down to the balance of the rest of the forward pack and what the job actually is. And I mean, Nepo Laulala uh, is a good defender when it's one-on-one and they're direct. Uh, when he's having to move, yeah, it's a, possibly a bit more of a challenge, but he is very good in the set piece. He is very good at his clean-out work. And then if you're needing others. Now, he'll find his way back closer to the ruck where it is easier to defend, and they'll run a pattern for that because when you look at the rest of the tight forwards that will be selected, the likes of Retallick, Whitelock, Tupovati, and so on in the, in the locking uh, positions, the other hookers that we've talked about, how dynamic they are, the loose heads, how dynamic they are. It's not a bad position to have someone whose job really is to go and clean out. There'll be a lot of carriers. There'll be a, 
from all the other Ford packs. So how does how do we make sure we're cleaning and not everyone is looking for that for, for that ball to carry? One is looking around hunting solid breakdown, looking to hurt bodies, put some sharp shoulders on the on the Irish who who they'd be focusing on. So it very much depends on the balance. If the game starts to open up, that's when someone with a bit more of that mobility, the Ta'abao, or even we saw with um, Offa Tuanga Fasi, that's when they can come on and add their impact. So it'll be, a, I think that's how they they may look at it. Um, I think Tuanga Fasi is, uh, yeah, it's a tight line, that, that tight head jumper between those two, that's for sure. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Ben. Always appreciate your insight and knowledge. Um, and have a good rest of the day, Universal Soldier. <laughs> Thanks, Marcy. I do want to ask you, though, who, who are your three nines? Who are the three nines? Um, my, my mix will be two, two players of similar ilk, which would either be Brad Weber and Aaron Smith or Aaron Smith and Finley Christie. And the third one has to balance out the, the two with a different style of game. So, Fakatawa or TJ Perinara. I think we can't go for Weber, Finley Christie and Aaron Smith. They're two like for like. Oh, nice. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Actually, I heard her that the because we've got the three test series, the All Blacks were going to name a thirty-six man squad, um, which would allow them to have a few carry a few more. So they might potentially, you know, take four halfbacks and four hookers potentially. I don't know if you you guys have heard anything on what how big that squad's going to be. Yeah, I've heard thirty-six. Um, that, that, that would give them another potentially another front rower, depending mm-hmm. on where that is. So you could carry an extra prop, you could carry another nine. So there could be four nines in there. So, it's, um, but thirty-six is definitely squad, which is which is good. It's good, good prep. Geez, I tell you what, getting four nines in there will be good for the team photograph. I know that much, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, quality. Good stuff, Ben. Hey, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always good to chat. Yeah, pleasure. Have a good day, guys. Yeah, you too, mate. It is 20 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. If you've got any questions, anything you want to get across, any suggestions, give us a text. Double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. We'll get to a few of those next. Or 0800 150 811. Jeff Wilson's still to come on the show as well. He'll be breaking down his All Black 36. It's 2.24 here on SENZ, your Bunnings Trade rugby run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. A few texts come through on double eight double three uh, From Gig, Justin, do we think it's a slight advantage in terms of rest for the Crusaders having played on the Friday night? Yeah, I guess that's not going to be balanced out by the fact that they had to obviously make that huge amount of tackles. Mm. Yeah, but the, having that extra day, I don't think has a massive effect rest-wise, mate, but um, I certainly do feel that it gives you that, that extra day of preparation. There's no doubt that Scott Robertson would have had in his in his the back of his mind, we might be playing the, Crusa, uh, the, the Brumbies. But ultimately, I think 80% of them or more would have been thinking, we're going to be playing the Blues. And so his preparation would have already started the day before. Yes, the players' recovery would have started on a Saturday rather than a Sunday today for the Blues. Um, so you, they have, a, you could say, a slight advantage there. But in general, I think it's the game preparation that, that has given the Crusaders a slight uh, advantage leading into this. They can, they've done all their homework by Sunday, whereas the Blues will only be doing theirs now. So... Yeah, look, it's it's slightly favourable for the Crusaders, but yet the Crusaders have to get on a plane come Friday. So 
you know, they're, they're going to be heading to Auckland and, and the Blues don't have to worry about a travel day. So I think it balances out in general. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, and I know you're not a uh, doctor, Marshy, but uh, Chris has asked this question, Chris from Foxton. How is it that a player can get sin bin for a head clash, but the other player they clashed heads with doesn't have to go off for an HIA and can play on? And, and that's the problem with the law. That they're, what they're not looking at is the uh, the outcome of the collision. And, you know, off, often we're seeing the player that is being penalised or yellow-carded or red-carded having uh, being purely accidental, being the one that's been knocked out <laughs> because, you know, they, they, they've simply not meant to, to go into there causing a head collision themselves. And, you know, it goes to, to reinforce that the law is wrong and that they're not looking at it properly because... There's no way a player who is intentionally looking to hit someone in the head with their own head is going to be the one knocking themselves out. So, yeah, absolutely. It's why things are so muddled and so wrong at the moment, particularly with head contact. Yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. It's an interesting one. Uh, we do have Dean from Dunedin on the line, uh, who's uh, uh, died in the Wool Highlanders fan. G'day, Dean. How are you, mate? Well, I'm actually not a Highlanders fan at all, to be honest. I, they don't pick enough Southlanders for me. They never have. They always pick those cargo buggers. <laughs> Hawks based. I've always supported the Crusaders, to be brutally honest. There's more of Southerners to play for them, I reckon. But what I was wanted to talk about, just I think you just about nailed it, and Ricardo. But I reckon that the referees, like, can't they just say this is a rugby incident? Why, why don't they send off the Brumbies guy for a headbutt? Like, what was that that seven for the Blues supposed to do? He, for me, if I'm coaching him, I'm patting him on the back, saying, mate, that's exactly what I want you to do. You wrap the ball up. You touched heads, but that, that happens every mall. They touch heads, and they don't go in and zoom in on that and send a whole heap of players off. Like, there was no intent. That was perfect defence, and he gets yellow-carded. I don't know if you've spoken about it earlier. I know I rang, rang you last week about it, but you just said about the tackler quite often getting knocked out. The Hollanders seven last week was out cold, doing exactly the same thing. Mm. It, it's, an, it's a rugby incident. It's not foul play. It, for me, it wasn't even a penalty. It was just... Get on with it. Yeah, you're right, Dean. I totally agree. And it's frustrating the hell out of me too, mate, to be perfectly honest, because what they are not taking into account is the fact that no, neither attacker or defender have done anything wrong, um, and, and they're all in good positions. And for some reason or another, accidentally, they have clashed heads. And whether it's force or not force, they never either player intended to do that. And... What we've got to be careful of is, yes, we're trying to protect the players, but we've also got to protect the bloody game. And you're bang on in what you're saying. is It can happen across the board where it's not picked up and can be worse on players, where there are hidden HIA situations. If you went in depth into the game, you'd see head clashes a lot. The fact that they're out in the open and now they're scrutinising them the way that they are, but more importantly, penalising them the way that they are, is really harmful for the game. And it's not helping... Um, either, either the players or I think the game in general um, because the players are looking equally as confused as anybody saying, hey, what the hell else could I have done, really? And I didn't mean to do it and yet they find themselves sitting down for either 10 minutes or out of the game for a red card, which is just wrong. Mm, yeah, couldn't agree more. Thanks for your call, Dean. It is uh, coming up up us two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade Helping Businesses Our Trade. Up next, Jeff Wilson joins us and we're going to get a take or well, his take on what it is uh, 26 away from three here on SENZ this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade Ricardo Ball Justin Marshall with you and joining us now is the golden one Jeff Wilson g'day mate how are you 
Uh, g'day, Ricardo. Justin, I've been trading players in and out of my All Black squad all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to your All Black 36 soon, mate. Uh, but uh, the two semi-finals that we've seen uh, from Super Rugby, uh, right results both times, do you think? Uh, what did you make of the semis? Hey, look, I mean, at, at the bottom line is that, um, you know, the top two sides have made their way through after the regular season. Look, th- there's no doubt they'll look at their performances, both of these sides, and go, you know what, we probably could have been a heck of a lot better. One team was a miraculous defensive effort, pushed the boundaries for another 80 minutes to the Crusaders, and they got a result. Um, and the Chiefs missed out on a massive, massive opportunity because, because clearly, clearly they created enough but just didn't finish. And by doing that, they've now got until next year to think about it. As, the, as for the Blues... If you get reduced down to 14 men in the last 10 minutes, you're asking for trouble. It happened to them. And reality is, you wouldn't say they got out of jail, but in the end, they were very, very fortunate not to have let a commanding position slip away. Yeah, well said, Goldie. And, and it's created a dream final, isn't it? So I think, you know, it's, it's a mouth-watering prospect at Eden Park. I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be a reasonably dry night and we see both sides being able to execute all of their skill sets and, and all of their X-Factor players can get into the game. But I won't dupe you, mate. I said I was going to get you on to have a look at this all-black squad, so we, we will do that. Um, we've pretty much gone through the nuts and bolts of the, the uh, Type 5. Pretty much picks itself. Don't really see any bolters in that mix. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start with your thoughts on the, on the loose forwards. Obviously, Ethan Blackadder has created a vacancy. Um, who do you think fills that spot? And... Secondly, do we go as bold as picking genuine number eights or are we going to go with this whole Artie can play there, Sam Kane can play there scenario? I think they'll look at some backup. I think they've got great faith in, in Artie Savia. And you can't argue with what he did in terms of effort and leadership last year in difficult circumstances he had to step up. Um, you know, the sevens picked themselves. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised with this um, injury or... Um, illness that, uh, that Dalton Papali is dealing with that uh, Sam Kane will probably be named captain because I'm not sure they've got too many other options. You know, you guys have gone through the tight forwards and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got some leadership carrying some injuries. Um, mm. it, it's what you do at number eight in blindside flank. And look, I just, I think we I think Shannon Frizzell just did too much good work in the early part of Super Rugby Pacific to be ignored. Um, he brings a real brutality and physicality to his game. I don't think you can argue with that. I mean, the big movers for me in the last couple of weeks, and one in particular is Hoskins Satutu. Um, I don't think, you know, I think I've seen him play consistently as physically as he has over the last little while since he's come back from injury. And I think that plays his way into that position of a genuine number eight. Look, in, in March, April, we were all talking about Peter Gustafula and how good he'd been. But also, Justin, I'm just thinking about we're going into July, right? We're going into that part yep. of the season, deep in winter. You know, I think that has to be taken into consideration. That's why the loss of Ethan Blackadder, you know, was obviously bitterly disappointed with his versatility. And I think it brings Luke Jacobson well and truly back into the mix. And Akira Yuani as well. I think they'll continue to persevere with Akira, given he's finally starting to show those qualities he showed last year. So another player, though, who's on the radar for me after a couple of good weeks is Cullen Grace. Just... Just on the weekend, showed, showed well what he's capable of. Damn it. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to mention him because I was going to say, hey, well, what, you, you, and you've been bang on. And, and obviously, 
but hold on. Akira can hold on, play 50 number, player, number eight. They've used 50 players the last two years. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, yeah. I mean, guys are genuine players, right? So, so to your point, I mean, do you see Callum Grace as being a guy who, who could have forced his way in? Yeah, I do. And, and I certainly feel that the way that the All Blacks want to evolve, you know, we're up against massive back rows, particularly coming out of the Northern Hemisphere now. You know, players that are mobile, that they have great work ethic, get over the ball, but they're tough and they run hard. And, you know, if we're putting out a smaller back row with, with Artie, um, to a degree, Sam Kane, who's not a midget, but he's not 115 kgs playing open side, you know, we uh, is that where the pathway we want to go down? Because we have been bullied a bit in the Northern Hemisphere recently. So I think that's why Cullen Grace does come into the mix. Where Sawtutu comes into the mix, and to a degree, like you say, Akira. So, yeah, really interesting. Um, yeah. All right, well, I think... Um, can I add to that, though? Pretty much take care of themselves. Though? Pardon? Can I add to that? Oh, can I add to that, though? I mean, I think... I, I'd like to think they're considering Tupovai um, as, as a blindside flanker yep. option, as cover to play blindside flank. I think that would, would give us another element um, and, and all of a sudden it, it, it changes your balance you require on the bench. And so, by, by if he's not starting, um, you know, because I think I think maybe we've gone past the Scott Barrett at six option. I think we're we're past that one. You know, I think maybe Tubovise another another guy who's in the squad who who can give you the size you're talking about. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I do agree with that, and and he's been outstanding as well so far this season. And again, like it gives them a balance of being able to play him at lock, which they do look for that versatility. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, what about the uh, halfbacks, mate? Which, which pathway do you think they're going to go down there? We'll, we'll say they're going to pick in the 36-man squad. They're only going to pick three. I'd be very surprised if they if they carried a fourth. Well, as I do, you, you, you can't um, go past experience. But but for the same token, we need to we need to get consistency in this position. I'm not sure exactly how long Aaron Smith is going to be out for. I imagine he'll be back and fit and available for the first test match. So I'm still going with the three guys last year that really impressed me and have done well in this competition. Aaron Smith's been good. Not at his very, very best, but well and truly good enough, and you'd never go past him. And Finlay, Christian, Brad Weber, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's quite the time for Lau Whakatawa just yet. Maybe, maybe as we go into the rugby championship, if they feel as though they need something different. But those are the three for me. DJ Perinara. Um, was on uh, Instagram, I think, uh, yesterday talking about he's picked up another niggle um, with his knee, but even then, I don't think they'd go down that path. Um, they do have that option, though. The New Zealand Māori side gets named on Tuesday, I think, Māori All Blacks. And if they yeah. wanted to get guys some time and keep them playing, maybe they push a Brad Weber across there. But I, I, don't, I wouldn't like to see that. I'd like to see the three that you know, deserve the opportunity and have shown um, uh, the qualities we need. 10 pretty much takes care of itself. Um, I don't know whether or not Stephen Pettifetta, um fits into that mix. Like He's being talked about as being a player that could obviously fill um, a variety of positions. Uh, so he could be included in the outside backs. I think obviously Barrett and Moanga are there. Do you see someone like Stephen Pettifetta being brought into the squad just as that uh, added, uh, um, added player? Obviously, if they pick a Billy, he can play 10. Yeah, no, I think you've got to have a genuine 10, third 10, 
in your squad, though, right? Um, you know, if you're if you're trying to prepare for games and then and then you lose one, you want someone who's been right there right from the very very start. And I think on form and the unavailability right now of Damian McKenzie until he plays and becomes eligible through getting on the park for club rugby, and then you know maybe he he might get a run for the for the Māori All Blacks. Um, I think I look at it from that point of view. Stephen Petafeta has been the guy that, that fits the bill and done a really nice job at 10 and 15. He's a different player this year. He really is. Yeah. Like, uh, and the confidence in his goal kicking, which has allowed the pressure to be off Bowden Barrett to captain and lead the side, I think has been really helpful for both players. And he's, he's oh, Look, he, he had a little mistake early on. He missed the key tackle last night in the first couple of minutes of the game. That was... That was not part of the course for him this season. I, I think he actually just helps once again the ability to, to bring in uh, maybe a, a specialist in the outside back area because he can cover and play fullback. And look, we've got so much versatility in our back line. I mean, I, I've chopped and changed, Marshy, these, these guys in and out <laughs> through this. And, and, and when Damian McKenzie comes back into the equation, it's just going to be even more and more difficult. What, what's your, actually, sorry, Jeff, what's your split, your, your forward back split of 36? Have you gone eighteen eighteen, or have you done something else? No, no, twenty-one fifteen. I'm, I'm, I'm forward heavy. I'm forward heavy. Um, you know, that's the way I've sort of I've come about it. But remembering with the the niggles that they've got in their carrying, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if they they name a a, a wider squad for the before they get together for the first test, because you know, you're not sure. You know, um, the recovery times. Look, we don't know. Look, and this is the thing: there are a number of guys who are sitting on the edges right now. When will Dalton Popperley be ready to go again? When will Sam Whitelock be ready to go again? Um, those are the unknown, right? Um, Cody Taylor went off yesterday um, on um, on Saturday, uh, on Friday night. So, when will he be fit and available? So, you know, you may see a few extras. I reckon. Okay, I'm going to combine the last two simply because I believe. They, they will look at the ability to be versatile in the midfield and the outside backs. And obviously this is where there is going to be many eyebrows raised and some possible bolters, some pro- pro- possible disappointment. So mid- midfield outside backs, do they pick someone like, um, uh, what's his name, um, Barrett? <laughs> help me, help me, Barrett. Geordie Barrett. Um, as, as a centre, does two of us a shit come into the mix? Has Caleb Clark? Done enough. Is Will Jordan selected as a, as a fullback? Does Lester Fyinger Anuku come into the mix? Has he done enough because he can play centre? Has Jack Goodhue shown them enough that he's back into the mix? Is Havili going to get an opportunity? And has Tupaya um, a, a, a simply a 12 for the All Blacks? So you want me to answer all those questions? And and they are all 100% the same conversations I've had with Sir John Kerwin, Mills Mulione, yourself. We get together, KT, we start talking about and going, you know what, um, who is it that they're going to go to? And, you know, I think they've got, I still think they've got great faith in in the guys they had in and around their environment last year. And they had a a number of them. And like, like you've just said, there's huge, a huge versatility. And look, there's Braden Enor who's sitting around there as well. And, you know, I think I look at the guys who have really made a bit of a shift in the last last month. The guys have really stepped up. And, and yeah, you'd have to say if you were talking about and comparing between Jack Goodhue and Quinn Tupai, Quinn Tupai has probably made a bigger move. He's made a yep. bigger shift. 
He's carried really, really strongly. So that, to me, gives it the inside running. You're clearly going to take Roger to, um, RTS, Roger Tuovasa, Sheik, and Rico Iwani. I think the, the, the ground that he's making up, um, uh, Roger, in terms of understanding the game and the impact, he's certainly not hurting you and showing some really positive signs. He's going to get better. Um, Rico clearly can play on the wing at a world-class level. But I think at centre, he's giving us a, a real option. That's still the, probably the one position for me right now that I'm not as comfortable as I probably would like to be. Uh, I do have really liked Lester Whanganuku when he has played there for the Crusaders. But he's been in and out and not played every single week in a certain position. But I think at the moment, the big question mark is, to your point, has, has Caleb Clark done enough yeah. to make the squad... Because we know his point of difference, and when he's fit and available, it's it's just something we don't necessarily have. It's it's as dangerous as it gets on the left wing there, and, and I'm just not I'm just not sure. I just don't know. I, I don't know if we've got the luxury. And when guys like Sebu Reese have started to really capture recapture their form, Will Jordan can play on the wing. I think Ian Foster's made it quite clear that he doesn't see he doesn't see Jordy Barrett as a midfielder. He really enjoyed what he did at fullback last year. And I think we, we also have to consider, like I say, it's Ireland in July in New Zealand. And we know the type of conditions you may face. And it's, it's just not going, to be a, it's not going to be open running rugby, is it, Marshy? It's going to be tight, tight tussles played in challenging conditions from time to time. And, and you know, you want, as much as you want the All Blacks to play, you've got to get the balance right. And so you know, there are a number of guys, you know, who... who We'll be looking at the naming tomorrow at 12 o'clock. And, and um, you know, what I do love, Marshy, is a lot of these guys will have been named, but some won't have been named when they arrive in Auckland. And it'll be some sort of game because it's not often that you find out before the final of a competition whether or not you're in an all-black squad. And, uh, yeah, I did, you have. I did question that timing, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, it's not, not ideal either being deflated or, or, I guess, sort of your head's in the clouds. So, yeah, it's an interesting oh. time that they've chosen to name the side. Oh, well, you know, New Zealand rugby uh, have got a, have got a history with this sort of thing. I mean, you've got to remember with the... Uh, they named that Black Ferns uh, team ahead of the Super Alpecky final and then pulled all the players out of the final to go to a, go and sit in a camp. So, uh, not that I think they'll do that here, but they do have uh, they do have previous. Well, look, I mean, what they've done is they've got a camp. They've got a, they've got a camp this week for the guys who aren't in the final. You know, the, the, for the players that they select, they are coming together for I think, a, a two or three days to start putting in place some uh, some of the things that they're looking to, to put together for the first game. I mean, things have got interesting as well. Leinster have been knocked out of their competition up north, so all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of players in that Irish environment that have now got another week of recovery and preparation time. So I mean, let's not forget, I mean, this is... and I think we've got to take this in mind as well. That these first five test matches, Marshy, we probably haven't faced a campaign like this for a long time in regards to Ireland with no warm-up games and then straight into South Africa on the road for back-to-back test matches. That is a significant challenge in the first five test matches of a year. Yeah, mate, I I couldn't agree with you more, and uh, it's be interesting to see what they have. So 21-15 is the split. Uh, We will see how close you got tomorrow, Jeff. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing what happens at uh, 12 o'clock. And tonight, the breakdown, we'll do our very best, team. We'll do our very best. I'll probably say something <laughs> completely different. I don't know. Like, by the time we get in there, 
I mean, this thing gets confusing. There are so many quality players out there right now. There are indeed. Good stuff. Uh, Jeff Wilson there with us here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SCNZ. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Five away from three. Just about done for the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run for this week. Marshy, before we go, though, the big Super Rugby Pacific Final next weekend at Eden Park. Uh, how and uh, how is it won and lost, do you think, for each team? Look, I certainly think who has the bravery to play. Like, who has the ability to go out there and not hang the game on the result? Go out there, play the game and the pattern that you know your team thrives on. Um, to, to not worry about the consequences of making the odd error, but have belief in the fact that you know uh, how to break the team down that you're playing against, but also how you function the best. In that regard, the Crusaders have a massive advantage mm. because they have um, a huge amount of success uh, um, that the, the, the Blues don't, particularly in recent times. So they won't be too phased about the fact that, you know, they've got to face that. So, yeah, can the Blues get up mentally in that capacity? I think they can. We're in for a belter. Got to win one to lose one, so they say, Marshy. Got to win one to, uh, sorry, lose one to win one. So that would, yep. you would think, put it in Crusaders' favour, given how long it's been between drinks for the Blues. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.